Before we begin the regular Navi, I wanted to take a few minutes and just give over a quick idea about Tu Bishvat, uh, which is today, of course, the 15th of Shvat, which we celebrate as the Rosh Hashanah Li'ilones, the Rosh Hashanah for trees. And I just want to, again, take a couple of moments and give over an idea that I had the, um, I had the great schus of hearing from the Rebbe personally exactly 30 years ago tonight. Um, 30 years ago tonight was Yud Shvat of 1992, Tav Shin Nun and that was just uh, about a month and a week before the Rebbe had his the stroke um, of later of the, the 27th of Adar. Um, so it was in 770 that night, and it was after Mayrev, the Rebbe spoke a, a gave a sicha, and he talked about the Pasuk in Parshas Ekev that uh, describes the seven species that Eretz Yisrael is praised with. The Shiva Minim Shinishtabcha Behen Eretz Yisrael, which the Minog is, uh, sometime today, the minute uh, uh, is that we should have eaten um, of some of the special fruits of Eretz Yisrael, um, whichever one we choose. But the Pasuk itself is a Pasuk in Parshas Ekev, and the Pasuk reads the following. It says, Eretz, it's a land of chita and saora, um, wheat and barley, gefen, which is uh, grapes, wine-bearing grapes, teina, which is figs, rimon, which is a pomegranate, and then it says again, Eretz, a land, Zeis Shemen, of olive-bearing, of, of oil-bearing olives. Udvash and honey. And that's honey that comes from dates. And that's the seven species of Eretz Yisrael. Um, wheat, barley, grapes, figs, uh, pomegranates, olives, and dates. And what the Rebbe did in that sikha is he went through the, all the steps of this Pasuk and explained what that is for us in our own avodah, in our own, in our own service of Hashem. And he also dealt with the fact that the Pasuk says the word Eretz twice. It says a land of and gives us five of the species and then says a land and gives us the final two species. So what's the reason that uh, that extra word Eretz would seem to be redundant? And he, ran through, he went through it. Um, and again, I, I want to uh, cover this in short order. The idea, and speci specifically how the Rebbe saw this all as a hira, as a lesson to us in our Aveda Sashem. And he said the following. The first word is Eretz. Eretz means a land. And he quoted a Pasuk from Malachi that says that Klal Yisrael is called Hashem's land of desire. The Pasuk says, Malachi chapter 3, Pasuk Yud Beis, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, Hashem calls us a land of desire. So when the Torah says that it's a land, it's referring really to each and every one of us that are called a land of desire for Hashem. Now why are we a land? In what way are we like the earth or the ground, like the land? Why would Hashem call us that, and a land of desire? And, and the idea is, as the Rebbe explained, that a land has a lot of treasures within it, but it's only if it's cultivated. But in each and every one of us, the Baal Shem Tov says, has tremendous treasures within ourselves because of our neshama and the soul powers that we have, but they have to be cultivated. A land has to be plowed, a land has to be watered, a land has to be cultivated. And when it's cultivated properly, the land gives forth all types of treasures. And that's really the story of each and every one of us. And that's why Hashem calls us His Eretz Chifetz, His land of desire, because we're filled with treasures if only we cultivate them properly. That's the idea of Eretz. And then he says the first uh, the species are chita and saora, wheat and barley. Wheat and barley, according to the Gemara, is, is considered a human staple and an animal staple. Chita, wheat, was always the human staple, something that people lived off. Barley was considered an animal staple. 
And what that means in our personal life is that all of us, our avoda, is connected with the human within ourselves and the animal within ourselves. The godly parts of our day and the animalistic parts of our day. Um, and all of our avodah is going to fall into one of those two parts. There's the times that we're obviously, that we're clearly connected with godliness, whether it's um, doing mitzvahs, studying Torah, davening, and so on. And that's one area of our avodah, Sashem. That's the chita, that's the wheat, the, the human part of us, the godly part of us, the divine part of us. And then there's the sa'ura, no less important, is the part of us in which we're physical, which we're similar to an animal. But yet we serve Hashem with that as well. That's the first two of the species. We move on to the third which is Geffen. And Geffen is the grapes that give wine, and wine is synonymous with Simcha. The Pasuk says that wine is Misameach Elokim Va'anoshim, it brings Simcha to man and to Hashem. And, that, and the Pasuk is telling us that when it comes to serving Hashem, um, the first most important ingredient is that our service is with Simcha, with excitement, with energy, with joy. And that's the idea of wine, of Geffen, of the grape. And it goes on to Te'ina. Te'ina is figs. What's unique about figs? So what's the first time a fig is mentioned in the Torah? Is when Adam and Chava sewed for themselves garments from the fig leaves. As the Pasuk says, right in, in Pasha's Barashas, right after the sin, and they needed clothing, and they sewed it from fig leaves. So fig in the Torah is synonymous with garments, with clothing. Um, and from you know, basic Tanya knowledge, the garments of the soul are machshava, dibur, and maise, thought, speech, and deed. We express ourselves through our thought, speech, and deed. So we're talking here about how we actually connect to Hashem using our garments, which are our thought, speech, and deed. And that's the fig. And then we come to the rimon, which is the pomegranate. We know the pomegranate is filled with seeds. Um, and it says that just like the many, many mitzvahs that we have, the many, many seeds in a pomegranate are, uh, represent the many mitzvahs that we have. Um, according to some, a perfect pomegranate will have 613 seeds, like the 613 mitzvahs. So the pomegranate refers to the mitzvahs that we have, and that's the way we're able to affect the entire world and bring Kedusha into the entire world. Okay? So we've already done the first Eretz, and the first five species. Let me run through that very, very quickly. Eretz means that we're a land that must be cultivated. We have the treasures within us, but they must be cultivated. Uh, wheat and barley, we work with our godly soul and our animal soul. Gefen, we work with simcha. Te'ina, we use the garments of our soul, the thought, speech, and deed. And rimon, to do all the mitzvahs of Hashem, the 613 mitzvahs. This is the first Eretz and the first five species. But then it says Eretz again. And here we mentioned earlier, the question is, why does it say Eretz again? Why does it talk about the land again? And the Rebbe explained that although the uh, first Eretz already told us the idea that we have to cultivate the treasures within ourselves, but there's two levels of treasures within the earth. Well, normally we say when we cultivate the earth, we'll find the treasures of, of the earth. What are we talking about? The basic, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the fruits and the vegetables and the trees that the earth will give forth. And we cultivate it through plowing and, 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 um, and planting and watering and so on and so forth. But there's a much greater, deeper le level of treasures within the earth, which are literal treasures. Those are the diamonds. Those are the rubies. That's the gold. And that requires a much greater and harder level of cultivation. When, when those who uh, spend their life searching for gold or diamonds or minerals under earth, that takes a much greater level of cultivation. But then they're able to become fabulously wealthy. And the same is with the treasures that find themselves within each and every one of us. There are the basic treasures that we have, and that requires basic cultivation. 
And that's where the first five species fit in. The basic work with the godly soul and with the animal soul, using simcha, using our garments, using the mitzvahs, that's the basic cultivation in order to get the basic treasures out of our neshama. The second Eretz and the final two, spe- the final two species reflect the, more, the deeper treasures that are hidden within, our, within ourselves, which require a gr- much more difficult and greater and lengthier level of cultivation. Like the idea of golos. Golos, which is so much more difficult than regular avoda, but is there in order to find the greatest and deepest treasures. And those deepest treasures are alluded to in the final two of the species. Because what's, what's number six? Was the olive. The olive is bitter. And that reflects the bitterness of life. The diff- those, those times that we're embittered, that, that things feel very bitter. But we recognize that from that bitterness comes forth oil. And oil is where light comes from and warmth comes from. And oil Kabbalistically refers to the greatest secrets of the Torah, what's called Razin de Razin, the revelation of the deepest secrets. That comes through the bitterness of the, of the, um, the, the bitter moments of life. And that's why that's in the second Eretz. And finally, the last one is Devash, the honey that comes forth from dates. And the Rebbe quoted an interesting statement in the Zohar that says, for a perfect date to grow, is a process of 70 years from the time of its initial planting to get to the perfect dates. And that, re- that represents something that takes a long, long time, the things that we have to wait for and we try again and try again and we don't get there. And from those difficult waiting times comes forth Devash, the sweetest and the greatest treasures of all, those things that we have to wait patiently for and take a long time in order to reach them. And that's why these last two species have an Eretz all for themselves. The Eretz, they re- these last two species reflect those deeper and greater treasures that take the bitterness and take the waiting, but ultimately we reach the oil, we reach the uh, dvash, the sweetness that comes after the bitterness of the difficulties of life and the difficulties of Golos that reach the, the highest and greatest treasures of all. And that was the idea that the Rebbe gave again in that talk in 1992. Mamish tonight, 30 years ago, I'm going through this Pasuk and the, the meaning of the seven species, the way they relate to us in our own Avedis session. Does he equate the 70 years with the lifetime of a person, that it could take a lifetime to finally get to the treasures because a person lives 70 or 80 years? Okay, so I'm, you know what, I have to be honest, I don't remember, but I, I'm, I think that, I think that yes, I think that he does. I mean, it makes sense, it's right, like a natural Right, 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 the Pasuk, Yimei Shana, I have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that that's mentioned there in the footnotes of that Sikha as well, correct. Yeah, it's a beautiful Sikha, thank you for yeah. giving that a lot. It really is, really is a, a very special Sikha to me. Um, I, I, I can, I can in, envision and remember where I was standing then in 770 as the Rebbe was giving it, it was very special even at the time, just the, the way it was given over. Very powerful sicha. Okay, so that was uh, just something in honor of the day. And now let us get to back to our Navi. We are in Melachim Aleph, and we are in Chapter 2. We actually, we actually finished off in the middle of a chapter last time. We finished off in Chapter 2, verse Yud Gimel, verse 13. Um, and really, it was just when David HaMelech passed away. What, what, we're, what we are really learning, as I said, I think we had only one uh, class so far in the Sefer Malachim. Uh, but the book of Malachim really is the beginning of the kingdom of Shlomo, of Shlomo HaMelech, the son of David. Which, of course, the highlight, or I think the highlight is going to be the building of the Beis HaMikdash, which Shlomo HaMelech is going to build. Um, Shlomo HaMelech, um, I think we discussed a bit, is uh, one of the great, great kings of the Jewish people. Uh, we'll see soon, and we'll learn about that today, how he becomes the wisest of all men. But he, in many ways, stands on the shoulders of his father, David HaMelech. 
Um, David HaMelech is considered the ultimate king. David HaMelech Yisrael, Chai V'Kayim. David HaMelech is the one who waged all the battles that brought Kal Yisrael to a state of, um, of freedom and independence and shalom, a peaceful state of time. Um, Shlomo HaMelech's reign, his time, was the best time ever for the Jewish people. Ever before and ever after until the coming of Mashiach. It was a time that all the Jewish people are in Israel. They're, they're all one kingdom. Their enemies have been vanquished. They have a king. It's a time of peace. Um, and in fact, the name Shlomo itself stands for Shalom, for peace. Um, of course, the name was given to him before then, but that was a name given in prophecy, in Nevuah. And the, the name of Shlomo HaMelech is called Shalom Yehiyeh In his day, there was the, again, the, the most peaceful time we ever enjoyed as a nation in Eretz Yisrael. It was very short-lived, but it was during, during the lifetime of Shlomo HaMelech. So, uh, therefore, the, definitely the first many chapters of Malachim is dealing with that, with uh, the rain being passed over to Shlomo Melech. So, last week, uh, not last week, but because we had a few-week break, we did the Basilaganis for a few weeks. But the last time we learned, so we learned um, of David HaMelech's passing away and his parting words to Shlomo. And some of them were very inspirational. Some of them were where he was giving him his basic rules for life, of following the ways of Hashem, and being devoted to Hashem and devoted to the people. But he also had certain um, last-minute, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, uh, some, some commands, which uh, there's like some unfinished business that had to be, that Shlomo Melech had to do. We discussed there certain people that had to be punished, which David Melech didn't want to do it on his own. He felt he couldn't do it or shouldn't do it. And he gave that mission over to Shlomo Melech. And that's really, uh, and then David passes away again. The last few psukim, Yud Aleph and Yud Beis, is where David Melech passes away. And Shlomo, um, as Yud Beis, Shlomo Yashav al Kisei David Aviv, Shlomo sits on the throne of his father, um, David. Vatikon Malchusa Ma'od, his, his kingdom is very, very well established. And as we pointed out then, Shlomo Melech becomes the king of Chal Yisrael at a very tender age. He's 12 years old. So he's before Bar Mitzvah. And he becomes, he becomes um, the king of Chal Yisrael. And in fact, we noticed, noted the words that David Melech said in his bracha to him. He said, You should strengthen yourself and become a man. And I, I think I said that some of the rabbim, by their Bar Mitzvah mimer, the Bar Mitzvah was based on those on that pasuk, to become a man. Okay. Pasuk Yud Gimel. So the Pasuk Yud Gimel, again, it starts off with <laughs> some not exciting events. But it, it, Navi is Navi. So the, there was a person named Adoni Yahu, And he was the subject of the previous chapter in Tanakh. I'll, re, I'll remind. Um, Adoni Yahu led a, a quasi-rebellion. Um, basically, in David HaMelech's life, while David HaMelech was still alive, he's very old and very ill, Adoni Yahu proclaimed himself king. And in fact, some of the um, head figures went with him. And there was that whole story where Bathsheba, who Shlomo's mother, came before David and together with Nassan Hanavi, and David established that no, Shlomo was going to be the king, not Adoni Yohu. So at that time, Adoni Yohu was really re uh, in total rebellion to the kingdom because he had instated himself as a king during his father's lifetime even. Um, and he wasn't going to be the king anyway because Shlomo was going to be the king. But nevertheless... Shlomo pardoned him then. And Shlomo said, as long as you will be, you will obey and you will never again rebel in any form, so then you, you will be pardoned. But here immediately after David's passing, Adoni Yohu again um, tries to reestablish himself. Uh, and he does it in a very cunning way. And that's what the Pasuk tells us here. Adoni Yohu goes to Bathsheba. Now again, Bathsheba is Shlomo's mother. 
Um, not Adoniyo's mother. Adoniyo's mother is a woman named Chagit. But Adoniyo comes to Batsheva and he says, listen, he says, your, your son is the king. Your son um, Shlomo became the king and I understand that and I accept that. Really, I was going to be the king and really whatever, but your son became the king. That's fine. I'm asking you, can you, can you get one favor for me? And Batsheva is a, you know, a good Yiddish mother and she says, yeah, how can I help you? Well, what can I do? And he says, I would like you to ask your son Shlomo, who's the king, if he can grant me my wish, and that is that Avishag Hashunamis should become my wife. Avishag Hashunamis was, if you recall, that was the woman who was brought to David HaMelech at the end of his life to be like a companion and warm David HaMelech. Well, David HaMelech never married her, but she was um, designated for David HaMelech. So she had become like a, like a queen or someone second in command to David HaMelech. She was close to David HaMelech. So Adonio asks, just give me this one request. I was going to be the king. It didn't work out that way. I would like to be able to marry the woman who was closest to David HaMelech in the end of his life. So Bathsheba says, it sounds, sounds like a fine idea. And she goes to her son Shlomo and tells him what Adonio requested. Shlomo recognizes this as much more than a request. But as Adoniyahu still having his eyes on kingdom, on Malchus, and therefore he wants to, the, the concept of taking the David HaMelech's Avishag uh, um, that that woman was designated for the previous king to become his wife. And at this point, Shlomo HaMelech says, uh, he says that's the end. And he, he, um, he has Adoniyahu put to death because of his continuation in the way of rebellion. And Shlomo's general at this time is... Um, Biniyahu, Biniyahu ben Yehoyada. So Shlomo Melech tells um, Biniyahu to put Adoniyahu to death, and that happens over the next number of psukim. That that story takes us through the pasuk Chafhei. Okay, let's move on. Again, uh, we have a number of short stories where Shlomo Melech is again, as I said, like finishing up the the uh, certain elements of rebellion and people that had to be punished. So we're just going to go through them quickly. The next one is Evyasar Hakohen. Evyasar was a Kohen Gadol. But he already is not a practicing Kohen Gadol. And Evyasser was one who went with Adoniyahu. So at this point in Pasuk Chafvav, Shlomo Amalekh turns to Evyasser a Kohen and says, I want you to leave. He says, really, you rebelled on the king and really you're a person that's, uh, that's culpable of death punishment. However, you were a Kohen Gadol and you were served in front of my father David Amalekh and therefore I will not... Uh, I will not uh, enact the punishment for you, but I want you to leave the Malucha, I want you to leave the kingdom, um, you go back to your home, your city, I don't want you to be here uh, anymore. And Avyasar is banished from being the Kohen in front of Shlomo Melech, which, by the way, the Pasuk tells us, this is really a fulfillment of an old prophecy, which was given to Eli HaKohen way back, um, way back in the beginning of Shmuel. We had the Kohen Gadol, Eli, who had two sons, Chafni and Pinchas, and they weren't righteous. I'm going back to classes that we gave over a year ago. But um, it was promised that Eli HaKohen's children would not serve ultimately as Kohanim Gedolim. Evyasar was a descendant of Eli HaKohen. So this, that he was being removed from Kahuna, as the Pasuk says in the end of Chavzayin, that this is all really part of the Nevuah that was said to base Eli in Shiloh hundreds of years, or oh, I don't know hundreds of years, but maybe a hundred year or a little less than a hundred years earlier, when Eli was told that his children would ultimately not serve as Kohen Gadol. Okay, so that was the story of the banishing of Avyasar HaKohen. Um, the next one is Yoav. Yoav is a big name here. We know, we, we've, we've, we've learned a lot about Yoav. 
And we know that Yoav is a, is a, we have a conflicting look at Yoav. Um, on the one hand, Yoav is David HaMalach's general. He was the general, and he was um, responsible for a great amount of David HaMalach's successes. No question. On the other hand, Yoav did some very, very terrible acts in the eyes of David HaMalach. Uh, Yoav killed anyone who, was, who he perceived as being someone who was disobedient to David, even when those people were trying to be obedient. And most famously, Yoav had killed David HaMalach's son, Avshalom, who was, who was rebelling in David, but David expressly said not to be killed. Yoav killed Avner Ben-Ner, who was Shaul's general. Um, and Yoav killed Amasa Ben-Yasser, who was the general under Avshalom. And all of these were expressly against David HaMalach's opinion. And David HaMalach grieved all these deaths. And David HaMalach didn't want to see himself as being implicated in any of these deaths. And one of David HaMalach's last um, uh, will and last testament to his son was that Yoav should be killed. David didn't want to do it himself because David felt he was a beneficiary of Yoav throughout his lifetime. And therefore, though he felt he was deserving of it, David didn't want to do it. But David had told Shlomo, that he should do that. And that's the next act of, of Shlomo. As the Pasuk says in Chaf Ches, that Yoav hears what's going on. Yoav hears that Shlomo HaMelech is taking care now of all of those unfinished business, so to speak, of his father David HaMelech. And Yoav recognizes that his life is in great danger. If you remember, Yoav is a mighty warrior. But it doesn't matter. He recognizes that if the... Uh, if the Malchus, if the, if the law was that he was going to be put to death, then, then his being a mighty warrior wouldn't help. So what he, he does something interesting in Pasuk Chavtes. Yov runs to the Ohel Hashem. He runs to the Mishkan. And he holds on, I'm sorry, it's in Chavtes. And he holds on to the Karnos HaMizbeach, to the, the, uh, the Karnos are literally the horns. On the top of the Mizbeach, they're on the four sides of the Mizbeach, there was like a horn protruding. And Yov holds on to them in the hope that somehow being in the Beis HaMikdash or the Mishkan holding on to the Mizbeach is going to save him. Going to make that, that, that he should not be put to death. Um, so in Pasuk Chavtes, this message is given over to Shlomo HaMelech that Yoav had run to Ohel Hashem, to the, to the tent of Hashem, and he's by the Mizbeach. And Shlomo says to his, um, to, again, to his general, Ben Yoav Ben Yoyada, he says, I want you to go put Yoav to death. Um, ben Yoav comes to the Mishkan, and he says, the king said that you should go out of the Mishkan. And Yoav says, I'm not leaving. Yoav says, if you want to kill me, kill me here by the Mizbeach. Ben Yoav doesn't know what, you know what to do, what's the halacha, what he's supposed to do. He goes back to Shlomo HaMelech. He says, this is what I told Yoav, this is what Yoav answered. And Shlomo HaMelech says, do exactly as he said. He said that he, that he wants to be killed in the Mishkan. That's what you should do. You should be put to the Avir. Make sure to bring him to Kvura. He should be buried properly. But he says, we have to remove the innocent blood that Yoav, that Yoav spilled innocent blood, that has to be removed as a stain on the kingdom of David and therefore on our kingdom. Because it was sinful, it wasn't right, and he killed these two people who were righteous and good people, and he killed them by sword. My father David did not know about it. And again, he says over it by name, Avner ben Nair, the general of the Jewish people, Amasa ben Yasser, a general of the Jewish people. And in, in, a peace, in a time of peace, Yoav killed them, and therefore he has to be put to death. And that is what Bin Yoav does. In Pasuk Lamedalit, it says, Bin Yoav went to the Mishkan, um, and he put Yoav to death by the express order of Shlomo, who was really following the orders of David HaMelech, 
Vayikaver Bebeso Bamidbar, he was buried, again, uh, bur- uh, buried with honor. Um, everyone understood that Yov was a great man and did many great things for the Jewish people, and yet he was put to death and buried um, in his, the home of his family. Um, and at, at this point, David Am- uh, Shlomo Amalach instates Binyo Binyo Yod as the official general of all of Shlomo's armies, and for the Kohen Gadol, he instates Tzadok HaKohen. Um, as the Kohen Gadol in the place of Evyoser. Okay, there's one more person that has to be dealt with that wasn't dealt with yet, and he's also a great person, but also someone who did some very terrible things, and that's Shimi Ben Gera. Shimi Ben Gera is the one who we remember cursed David, and he cursed him very, very, the Pasuk says, Kalani Klala Nimretzes, very powerful, very terrible curses. Shimi Ben Gera was the leader of the Jewish people. He was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. He was, in fact, when Shlomo was a child, he taught Shlomo. But nevertheless, um, I'm not, it's not even clear to me what God caused him to go so severe so far off, but he was he cursed David terribly. And at that time, they wanted to put him to death, and that's when David said, no, it comes from Hashem, it's not from him. But as we read last in our last class, one of those last, um, last uh, tzavos, um, of David HaMelech to his son was that Shimi ben Gera. He says, use your wisdom, but Shimi ben Gera must be punished for rebelling in David HaMelech Yisrael. So, but here, here, Rav Shlomo does this in a very interesting way. In Pasuk Lamed Vav, it says that the king calls for Shimi, and he says, listen, Shimi, he says, he says, really, you, you deserve to be put to death, but I'm not going to do that yet. He says, build for yourself a house in Yerushalayim, and you must live there and never leave Yerushalayim. He says, the day that you leave Yerushalayim, you've signed your death penalty. You've signed your death warrant. That's what Shlomo HaMelech tells Shimi Ben Gera. That's what he tells him. He says, I'm not going to put you to death. It's in your hands. But you have a home. You can live in Yerushalayim. That's it. You may not leave Yerushalayim. And Shimi says, fine. I, I appreciate that. I, you know, you're, you're giving me a, you know, a way to live. And Shimi says in Pasuk Lamed Ches, Tov HaDovar, Kashedibar Adoni HaMelech, um, it's good, what my master the king said, Ken Yasa this is what I'm going to do. And says, and Shimi built a house in Yerushalayim and lived there for some time. But then it says in Pasuk Lamed Ches, that three years later, one day two servants ran away from Shimi. They ran away to a, a place in Gas. And Shimi was told, you know, your two servants ran away to Gas. And Shimi does what the unthinkable, like all of us would think, why in the world did he do that? So it's a big deal, he lost two servants. But Shimi gets up, and he saddles his donkey, and he goes to Gas to go and bring his servants back. And he brought them back, and he comes back. And Shlomo immediately gets the news, Shimi left Yerushalayim, and he went to Gas. And the king calls for Shimi, and he says, I made, we made, his, I made an oath with you. We made an oath, and we said it, that the day that you leave Yerushalayim, you will, have, you will have signed your death warrant. And now you went. So he says, your death now is in your hands. And Shimi says, Tov HaDover, Shamati. And he says, you're right. Um, and, and, and Shlomo says, why didn't you listen to the Shua that we made? And, um, then, and Shlomo says, but ultimately, you're not being punished because you left Yerushalayim. You're punished because of the cursing that you cursed my father, David HaMelech. And, my, and therefore, therefore, that's why you have to be punished. And therefore, Hashem made this happen. Um, and Binyo Binyo Yada put Shimi Ben Gera to death as well. And that's the end of Perig Beis. And it's really the end of all of this unfinished business, so to speak. We just, we just took care of Yoav and Shimi 
and Nev Yasser and Sadok, all of the these are all the people that were you know part of David Amalek's kingdoms. That there was this unfinished type of business that had to be done, and all this happened step by step throughout this Perik, and that brings us to the end of Perik Beis. Um, I want to point out one interesting thing, and that is this thing that Shlomo did with Shimi. Like, Shlomo knew that he had to push Shimi to death. What was this whole business with, you have to live in that house in Yerushalayim and not leave the city? And how did he know that he would leave the city? And it seems like he, he was sort of setting himself, setting him up for something, but how did he know he would leave? And the Mepharshim says it's an interesting thing, that Shlomo knew that it's within the nature of a person to have to leave. Uh, for a person, even a person, even though a person is faced with, uh, he knows the consequences, for a person to be holed up in one house, or in one city and never be able to leave, Shlomo knew that that's something that ultimately Shimi would not be able to stand with. And therefore he did this just in a way of giving Shimi an additional uh, way of, of saving himself. But ultimately he knew that what would happen did happen, and that Shimi would leave and therefore he would be put to death, which was the express um, uh, command and will of David HaMelech, and which was the Halacha, because Shimi was a Mori B'Malchus, as we explained. Okay, that brings us to the end of Perak Beis, and now we begin Perak Gimel, chapter 3. So chapter 3 really begins the story of Shlomo. Till now we were finishing up David in the beginning of Shlomo's reign. Uh, chapter 3 begins the story of Shlomo, which is an interesting story, a fascinating story, a great story, a sad story, like, like all the stories that we're learning here. Um, it starts off that Shlomo married a daughter of Paro, Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Mitzrayim. Um, we're going to see that marriages and relationships with, wo- with women is going to be Shlomo's biggest undoing. Um, and there's different reasons, and the Sfarim talk about different reasons of what, what was behind this. Shlomo was definitely trying to establish the kingdom of the Jewish people. And especially in the olden days, one of the basic ways of establishing kingdom was by connecting through marriage with other kingdoms of the time, other big kingdoms of the time. And that's something, according to most of the Mepharshim, Shlomo Melech was involved in. Now, any woman that Shlomo Melech married converted. Uh, the Gemara says that, and Rambam says that, that they were converted, yet the Bezdin, the high court, the Sanhedrin, didn't see it in a, in a good light. That he was marrying women who were from other nations and other religions, Again, albeit he made them convert, and yet they didn't feel that he was um, dealing with it appropriately. At this point, the Pasuk doesn't get into it. It just mentions it. We'll see later it's going to become more of an issue. But here it says he marries the daughter of Melech Mitzrayim, and he brings her to his, uh, to his home until he's going to finish building the house of Hashem and his own home, which we're going to learn about in the next few prok, in the next few chapters. Because at this time, the Pasik says, the nation wasn't, didn't yet have a base HaMikdash, and therefore, people brought Karbanas to Hashem, but they brought it in what's called a Bama. A Bama is a private altar. And we know once the base HaMikdash was built, there's no such thing as making an altar in your backyard and bringing a sacrifice to Hashem. But that's only once the base HaMikdash was built. At this point in time, the Beis HaMikdash is not built yet. And therefore, the Jewish people were bringing Karbanos to Hashem on Bamos. They would, again, build an altar and bring a Karban, which was okay at that time. As the Pasuk says in Pasuk Beis, Kilo nivne bayis l'shem Hashem ad There wasn't one central house built for Hashem yet until this day. Even though there was a Mishkan. But the Mishkan is not a, is not a permanent type of a, of a, a residence, a Beis HaMikdash, and therefore it doesn't um, preclude that a person could bring a carbon on a Bama. Okay, Pasa Gimel. 
And he went in his ways, in the ways of David. The only thing he hadn't done yet was he hadn't gotten rid of the Bumbles because he hadn't built the base of Mikdash yet. The king Shlomo went to Giv'on. Giv'on was a central city by Yidin. It says there, There was the great Bama, a great altar. And it says there, on that day, Shlomo brought Elef Olos, Yala Shlomo, a thousand Olos, a thousand sacrifices. Shlomo did things in a grand way. He was a great king. He was fabulously wealthy, as we'll see. And when he brought a carbon, he didn't bring one carbon. He brought a thousand carbonos, as the Pasuk says. Then the Pasuk says that there was a, Shlomo had a very wonderful and very beautiful and very famous vision. Begivon nira Hashem el Shlomo bechalom halayla. It was there in Givon. After Shlomo brought the thousand karbonos, that Hashem appears to Shlomo in a dream of the night. And he says, Shlomo, Shlomo, ask whatever you want, I will give you. Right? It's such a type of a vision. Sha'al mo eten loch. Hashem asks Shlomo, you're the king of Klal Yisrael. You're the ear of David HaMelech. You're sitting on the throne of Klal Yisrael. Ask what's on your mind, and I will give you. And here is where Shlomo famously um, has his famous request. And instead of asking for what most people might think of when they're given an ability to ask whatever they want, Shlom asks for one thing, for wisdom to judge Klal Yisrael. And he says it very beautifully. I want to read it from inside. Pasig Vav, Shlomo says, You did such kindness with my father, the great kindness, who went before you with MS and Sadaka. Um, and you guarded that chesed for him. And you gave my father a son to sit on his throne. And now Hashem, he says, you have made me king in the place of my father. Vanochinar katon. I'm a young, I'm a lad. I'm a young boy. Le'eda. I don't really know how to do this. And, and, and nevertheless, I was chosen to lead this great nation that can't be counted. And therefore, what am I asking for in Pasuk Tess? Vinasata la'avdachab, that you give your servant lev shomea, a heart that knows how to hear, Lishpotes amchan to judge your nation, lahavin bein tov to understand between good and bad. Kimi yuchal lishpot, because who can judge this 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 great nation? So he asked for the ability to judge, but it's it's important the words that he used. He didn't ask to be brilliant. He asked for a lave shomea to have a compassion, a heart that can hear and judge, to judge with compassion. That's what he asked for. Um, ultimately, you need wisdom to judge, but wisdom alone can be cold, can be callous. And David, Shlomo Malach asks for this lev shomea, a listening heart, lishbot esamcha, to judge your people. That was his request. And the Pasuk says, Hashem really liked that answer. Vayitav hadover be'enei Hashem. Hashem really was, was, very, was very happy with that answer. And Hashem told Shlomo, He says, because you asked this, and you didn't ask for long life, you didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for success over your enemies. But all of these would have been perfectly normal requests. Let me live a long life. Let me be healthy. Let me, have, let me be wealthy. Let me be successful over my enemies. And yet, you didn't ask for any of that. So Hashem says, therefore, I have granted your request. I have given you a lev chacham v'navon, a wise and understanding heart. 
And he says, Asher before you never, before you know and ever had this, in this degree, and after you, no one will ever have this. This is why we say, this is why Shlomo got the title of Chacham Mikal Adam, the wisest of all men. But again, as we're pointing out, it's not merely about wisdom, it's compassionate wisdom. The ability to listen, the ability to hear, the ability to have compassion and to judge accordingly. And then Hashem goes on and says, I will give you that. But also the things that you didn't request for, I'm going to give you as well. Gam osher, wealth, gam kavod, also honor. Asher lehoya kamocha ish bemalachim kal yamecha. That no other kings will have the type of wealth that you're going to have. No other kings are going to have the type of honor you're going to have. With one condition. As long as you go in my ways and you keep my chukim and my mitzvahs, just as your father David went, varachti es yamecha and I will give you a long life as well. So really, this is a very beautiful and very famous uh, part, part of the story um, where, Hashem, where Shlomo is, is granted one request and he requests exactly what one is supposed to request and Hashem grants that request in a very great way um, and saying that no one ha- had this and will have this and then Hashem gives him the requests that he didn't request as well. He gives him the wealth and he gives him the honor and he gives him the longevity. All of those requests are granted to Shlomo provided that he will continue going in the ways of Hashem. He recognized that he just had a, a fabulous dream. Um, he comes to Yerushalayim, he stands in front of the Aaron of Hashem, and he brings, again, sacrifices to Hashem, uh, Olos and Shlomim, and he makes a, a great uh, feast for all of his servants. And it's at that point that we have, again, another one of the famous Tanakh stories, and that's the story of the two women who were arguing over the child. And this is brought here in this parsha. It's not clear from the parsha, but that happened exactly now. But it's the, it's brought here to bring out the wisdom, um, uh, uh, an immediate um, enactment of the wisdom that Shlomo was granted with. It's actually a haftarah of one of the parshias. Although this minute I'm not remembering which parsha. Apologize, but one of the parshias we read this haftarah. And it's a story of two women. It's they're called Shtaim Noshim Zonos, and in the throughout uh, Tanakh we have the word Zonos many times. And whenever it's, it's it's mentioned, it has different meanings. Some mean it to understand it in a simple meaning, which means that they were har- harlots. Others understand that Zonos means people who um, had inns. Uh, a person because the word uh, Parshas Miketz. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for putting that up. It's the Haftarah of Parshas Miketz. Thank, right, obviously. And the reason it's Miketz is because there you have Paro's dreams. Right? Always the Haftarah is going to be similar to the Parsha. And in the Parsha we have Paro's dreams where Hashem gives over his wisdom. And here we have where Hashem gives it to Shlomo HaMelech. Thank you. Um, so again, you have these two women, women who are, again, either literally harlots or they're people who feed people. Either way, they come before the king Shlomo HaMelech. And, and again, the story is famous. I'm not going to go into detail. The story is that each had a child. They lived together in one home. They each had a child. One morning, one child was found not uh, to be uh, dead. Died. According to the, the, the simple reading of the Pasuk, one of the mothers must have laid, laid on the child, and therefore the child is dead. And the argument is, whose, whose child is the dead one, who's the live one? Because each one is claiming that the live child is theirs, and the, and the dead child is the others. And they bring the Sishlam HaMelech. And it's an impossible judgment. The reason it's impossible is because halachically, there's only one way to really determine such a thing. You need witnesses. You know, what do you do? I think, probably, it sounds right. So that's why there was no way to judge this. And that's why they ended up by Shlomo HaMelech, because any regular bezdim, any regular court of law, if there's no witnesses, then what are you going to do? You know, this is before DNA testing. 
And I don't know if DNA testing would work, but, but this is before DNA testing. So they come to Shlomo Melech and they ask him this question. And here's where Shlomo did, again, the, his famous display of wisdom. And what he does is, he totally ignores the women. doesn't talk to them. And he turns to his servants. And he says, we have, I have a question here. I have two people who want this wife's child. Bring me a sword quickly. We're, gonna, we're going to cut the child in half. He doesn't, he doesn't address the woman. He's talking to his servants. And as they bring him the sword, and by the way, the servants are also somewhat uh, perturbed by this judgment, but if the king says, the king says. So, so as he takes the sword, Shlomo makes as if he's going to lower the sword on the child, and one of the women jumps up and says, don't kill him. Give him to the other woman. And the other one says, well, you know, whatever the king says. And Shlomo turns around and says, okay, I know who the mother is. The mother is the one, obviously, who couldn't bear the idea that her child should be killed, and therefore she's the one who's the right mother. Um, and, and according to the Gemara, at that point, a baskol came forth from heaven and said that, of course, she is, this is the mother's child, and the other mother um, admitted to it. But it's at that point that this story got out. It was, uh, it was in all the WhatsApps. And everyone recognizes the tremendous chachma of Shlomo HaMelech, as the Pasuk says, in Pasuk Chafches. All the Jewish people heard this mishpat, this judgment that the king ruled. Everyone had fear before the king. Because everyone was able to see that he has godly, he has divine wisdom um, in order to be able to do judgment for Klal Yisrael. So Shlomo's name becomes more and more revered um, by Klal Yisrael. Um, that's the story in Pshat. There is deeper explanations and expositions to the story, but I'm not going to go there now. Um, this In Pshat, this story is just brought to bring out the wisdom of Shleim HaMelech and the first, again, a, a time when he's faced with a Din Torah that cannot really, based on regular halachic mediums, would have no way of being paskin. Again, because there is no witnesses, nevertheless, Shlom was able to use this Chachma that he's been granted and bring out a resolution that everyone recognizes the wisdom to them. Okay, let's quickly just do Perak Dalid, which is, it's not going to take long at all. Perak Dalid is really just um, an accounting of what's going on in the kingdom, of who are the Sarim, who are the ministers. Most of these people are names that we don't recognize. Um, Perak Dalid begins with, Vahiyah Melech Shlomo, Melech HaKal Yisrael. The king Shlomo was the king over all the Jewish people. Ve'elah HaSarim Asherlo. These were the ministers. And we have a, a long listing of ministers, Asaryo, Elichoref, Achia, and so, so on. Uh, Pasuk Dalid, we of course recognize Ben Yo Ben Yehoyada, he's the general, Alatzava, Vitzadok, and Avyasr, the Kohanim. But then it goes on again with more and more names. And then we talk about it says that there was 12 um, people that were in charge of, of feeding the palace, of taking care of the needs of the palace. Each one was in charge of one month. And it goes through all the names. So it's again, again most of these names we don't know. Ches, Tes, Yud, Yudalat, Yud Gimel, goes through a good about 20 Psukim. Uh, talks about the um, all these people that were in charge of feeding Shlomo's palace, and it says in the end of the chapter that um, Yehuda the Yisrael that at this time this was a time of tremendous plenty for the Jewish people. Uh, Yehuda the Yisrael Rabim Kechol Asher Al Hayam Lerov that the Jewish people Yehuda and Yisrael, which is the tribe of Yehuda, which is uh, which is Shlomo's tribe. The Yisrael, the rest of Israel are, are tremendously uh, n- numerous. 
like the uh, sand on the sea. Ochlim vishosim usmechim. It's a time when people are just happy. They're eating, they're drinking, they're happy. It's a time of peace. It's not a time of war, as we said earlier, that it was already David HaMelech that was able to um, uh, be victorious in all the wars and therefore create this very peaceful time for Klal Yisrael. Um, you know, let, let's, let's try to push for a little bit more. We still have time. So let's go into Parakei chapter 5. Um, and it really continues to be a description of the tremendous uh, kingdom of Shlomo HaMelech. As the Pasuk says in the beginning of chapter 5, Shlomo HaYamoshel Bechol HaMamlochos. He, he ruled over a number of kingdoms. Minanar, His reach and his rulership extended far beyond just the borders of Israel. And nations would bring him gifts and would serve him. He was the accepted king in the entire region, again, beyond Eretz Yisrael. And it talks about the tremendous amount of food that was in Shlomo Melech's palace every day because the amount of servants, the amount of people. And again, this is described in detail, Pasuk Beis and Gimel, um, how many animals were, were every day brought to, for, the, for the Seudos, for the, for, the fest, for the meals in the palace. And as the Pasuk says in Dalit, because he ruled over such a large area and all, many kingdoms were under him. And in Pasuk Hey, we have a, a beautiful, um, became a famous terminology, that in those days, Vayeshev Yehuda v'Yisrael lovetach. Yehuda and Yisrael, which is all of Klai Yisrael, sat in perfect security. Each person under his, his grape, uh, his vine, and his fig tree, Midon v'ad b'Yersheva, kol yimei Shlomo. Throughout the lifetime of Shlomo was a time of tremendous prosperity and a time of tremendous peace, as we said earlier. Um, interestingly, in the Zohar, the time of Shlomo's um, reign is called the time when the moon is at its fullest, which happens to be also today in the month. We know that the 15th day of the month, like today, Hamisha Asr in Zohar language is called Kaima Sihara Ba'ashlomusa, that the moon is at its fullest, which is the reason why most 15ths of the months are special on the Jewish calendar like today, and like Pesach, and like Sukkot, and like Purim, it's all about the 15th. And so every month we have the 15th with a special day of the month, but in Jewish history, if you put the whole Jewish history together, what was the time when we were at our fullest? That is the time of Shlomo HaMelech. And that's what the Torah, that's what the Navi here is describing, the great plentifulness and the great peacefulness that was going on at that time. Um, the Pasuk goes on, Pasuk Vav talks about the tremendous amount of animals that he had, and horses that he had, and 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 uh, soldiers that he had, and the amount the amount of uh, grains that was needed to constantly constantly supply his his palace. Okay, pasuk tes, vayiten olakim chachma leshlomo tvuna harbe meod. Hashem gives shlomo a tremendous amount of wisdom, v'rochav lev in a very broad and expansive heart. Also, like like the like the sand on the sea. The wisdom of Shlomo outshone the wisdom of all the other people of his time and all the people of Mitzrayim. And it talks even about certain people. There are certain very great and wise people at that time. Known Chachamim. Um, it's a person named Eson HaEzrachi and Haimon and Chalkol and Darda. And all of these people, um, Shlomo eclipsed them in his wisdom. Um, according to other Mepharshim, these are really alluding to the great Chachamim of the Jewish people, other Marishan, and Moshe Rabbeinu, and Avram Avinu, that Shlomo eclipsed all of their, all of these great Sadikim as well with his Chachma. And then the Pasik says something very interesting, Pasik Yudbeis, Vayidaber Shloshes Alafim Mashal, 
Shlomo had an uncanny ability to give a tremendous amount of mishalim, of metaphors, to any concept that he would teach. How many metaphors? 3,000. In other words, he would give an, teach an idea, and he would be able to teach that idea using 3,000 different metaphors or allegories in order to explain an idea. And um, interesting, Hasidus has a lot to say about that. Why? What was the idea of the number 3,000 mishalim? And very, very, very quickly, it says, uh, from a Kabbalistic uh, perspective, that Shlomo Melech was the Chachma of Hashem, which is the Chachma of the world of Atzilus. And after Atzilus, there's three basic worlds. There's Bria and Yitzira and Asiya, which I'm not, we're not going to go into this now at all. But it talks about three worlds, and each world has a thousand levels. And each mushal that Shlomo said was bringing the Chachma down another level. He was able to bring a point, an idea, a godly idea down to every person at their level, wherever they were in the chain of creation. And that's why we have the 3,000... Uh, levels or Mishalim of Shlomo, representing the fact that he was at the Shlemos of Chachma. Shlomo is at the highest level of Chachma that a human being can reach. Um, We know Shlomo Melech wrote three of the books of Tanakh, and they're all books of wisdom. The book of Mishlei he wrote, Proverbs, the book of um, Kohelas, and the book of Shir Hashirim. And all of them are allegoric, and all of them are wisdom. Three of the books of, of the of the Chavdalid, of the 24 Sifre Kodesh, are from Shlomo Melech, this person who personified Chachma, personified wisdom. Vayishiro, Chamisha Velaf, he wrote songs, a thousand and five songs, the Pasuk says. Of all those songs, what we know is Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, written by Shlomo HaMelech. Again, most of Shlomo's wisdom and writings we don't have. It's interesting, many commentaries say that a lot of Shlomo's works were translated into different languages and became the bedrock for different wisdoms in the world. There's different bodies and fields of wisdom in all different places in the world. Many of them trace them back to ancient times and they don't know themselves where they're traced. But according to many Sfarim, they're based on the Chachma and the Shirim and the songs and the Mishalim of Shlomo HaMelech. And then the Pasuk goes on in Yud Gimel and it says that he spoke about the trees and the cedars and the tall trees and the grass and there's different ways of understanding this psukim. Some talk about the fact that Shlomo understood the language of the trees and the language of the animals and the language of the birds, which is also part of the Chachma of Shlomo. Others explain that it doesn't necessarily mean he knew the language of the trees, but rather that he understood the science of the trees and of in, the inner workings of the trees and of the grass and of the animals and so on and so forth. And the Pasuk says in Yudalit, that Shlomo had become a phenomenon in the entire world at the time. Everyone knew of Shlomo's wisdom. So it says in Yudalid, Vayavo mikol ha'amim l'shmoa es chachmas Shlomo. All nations would come to hear Shlomo's wisdom. So we have a Jewish king, the king of, the, of, the, of, of Eretz Yisrael and the surrounding areas, but he's known in the world not only as a monarch, as a king, but as this man of tremendous wisdom, so much so that chachamim, the wise would come from all corners of the earth, from all the mamlachos, from all the kingdoms, to hear the Chachma of Shlomo. Me'es kol malchei aris, from all the kingdoms of the land. Asher Shlomo es Chachmaso, Shlomo's Chachma, became more and more known throughout the world. Of course, all of this was a direct um, effect of the bracha that he had received during that dream. But that Chachma was something that was becoming revered throughout the world, and people would come from all over in order to benefit from Shlomo's tremendous Chachma. And being that this begins here like a new part, a new Indian, so we'll stop here by Pasuk Tesvav in chapter um, in chapter Hey, and from there we will continue Bezras Hashem next week.